KC Ortiz brings Chicago's queer art scene to every ball. Why are you gagging so? Her eight-track mixtape church tapes and her full-length Beach Street have cemented her as full-fledged Chicago hip-hop royalty. And I'm so glad that she could join me in the studio today. Welcome to Vocalo. Welcome back to Vocalo, KC. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. 1895, Big Mama first in the world. Mississippi plantation, doctor said it's a girl. History not so distant to come up persistent. Now I'm in the music business and my ass get some kisses. Now on your website and in your bio, it says that the foundation of your music is a longing for Southern luxury. Now what is Southern luxury and how does that drive your process? Um, when I think of Southern luxury, I kind of think of like growing up in Alabama and like seeing like the big houses that was like the hardwood floors. A wraparound veranda. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I would say the best visual because I'm a very like visual in my mind. I like see things in my mind. But for me to let everyone else see it, I would probably say like the formation video when they're like in that hallway and mm-hmm. they have the maroon leotards on yeah. in that big house. When I saw that video, I was like, that is my whole aesthetic. <laughs> So, like, I just think of, like, southern, like, Alabama, big houses, wood, hardwood floors. Mm. I like to mix things that don't really go together, like grungy and glamorous. Talk to me about growing up in the South and wanting to be a rapper. When I was a kid, uh, rap music meant L.A. or New York, uh, and I don't feel as though... Uh, we really talked about the South as a as a hub for for hip hop until like I don't know like Outkast came along or something like that. Tell me about your experience. I remember seeing Foxy Brown on TV, and that's when I was like, "That's what I want to do." And I was into the radio station so much because growing up, my grandma raised me for the most part. Mm-hmm. And when I lived with her, it was just gospel music. Yeah. So when I was with my mom, that's when I would hear like rap music, but. I would say I was probably around 17, 18, and I just, it's kind of what you said, like, where do I even go? Yeah. Like, I didn't know where to even find a recording studio. And I had this notebook, and I started writing raps in it and stuff. But mind you, I was also living with my mom at the time, and I wasn't out at all. Yeah. So I had to, like, basically write my raps in codes. So if she was to find that notebook, she wouldn't know what I was talking about. Oh, wow. So it was, like, it was a lot. It was just (laughs) a lot because I couldn't express what I really wanted to say. And then on top of that, I'm like, where would I even find a recording studio? How would I even afford it? Yeah, that's real. Poor as hell, you know? So it really felt like, a dream that could never be accomplished and that's kind of what made me give it up. That makes me sad to hear because I think that's probably a shared sentiment with a lot of of young artists, especially like before, you know, the phone in your pocket had the capability to also kind of be a recording studio. It's really frustrating. How did you, who helped you? Who who managed to convince you to, to continue to follow this dream? I would say... I gave up for about over 10 years because life was happening to me, you know, like all of a sudden I joined the Air Force and that was like the heartbreaking part because I, in my head at that age, 
my goal was to be like the next Lil' Kim. Yeah. I had all these Lil' Kim pictures everywhere and like <laughs> so when I go into the Air Force they cut all my hair off and like <sighs> I'm just like there goes my dream. So I just kind of gave up on it. I was still right here and there, but I was doing it more like mm, just something to do. Yeah. And when I got into Chicago, I met a friend of mine who was into music. And I started telling him how I always wanted to be a rapper. And he was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was just like, yeah, okay, whatever. At that moment, I was like, just write, 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 write. So I was writing all the time at this moment, but I had no money to record. I didn't know any studios. And I was in Chicago at this point. So he introduced me to some of his friends who have studios. And that's how it kind of started. And yeah. when he started seeing my skills, he actually started paying for me to go to the studio because I didn't have a job at the time. Yeah. And he was, like, paying for me to go to the recording studio. So that's how it started. You're listening to Vocalo. I'm Jill Hopkins. Joining me in the studio, hip-hop artist KC Ortiz. But on the uh, the new album, you've got a track, the first track, it's called Ain't Tamer, and it basically is you talking about uh, your grandfather, you're getting busted by your grandfather while you're trying on your grandmother's lipstick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a true story. Yes, I can remember <laughs> that day so clearly. So my grandma, my aunt was in the army and she was stationed in Germany. So one summer, my grandma went over there to help with the kids during summer mm-hmm. while school was out. So it was just me and my cousin living with my grandpa. But my grandpa was like a professional gambler, so he was never home. Yeah. So me and my cousin are in the room. We find this suitcase in the closet, and we open it up, and it's just like this big suitcase of all my grandma's wigs. (laughs) So my cousin, she's like a girl. So we're like trying on all these wigs. I have my grandma's scarf tied around me like a um, tube top. (laughs) And my grandpa walks in, and I'm like in lipstick, a wig, like, I got this navy blue scarf wrapped around me. That's how vividly I remember. I remember the color of the scarf. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, what in the hell is going on? So, of course, my mom find out. I got in trouble so much growing up for getting caught putting on makeup, putting on lipstick, putting on wigs. I got my ass beat so much as a kid for that, like, throughout life. Yeah. So that's a very true story. <laughs> my grandpa was the ish. What kind of his church shoes? No arithmetic. If he catch me in this lipstick, he gon' blow a gasket. Jerry Dean Oliver, Mrs. Jean Bassett. The grass is always greener. Just wanna be like Tina. On the floor, headphone, missing misdemeanor. Jump goes the moon like the fork in the spoon. No Nickelodeon, Disney cartoons. And that's kind of how you ended up joining the Air Force, is that true? My mom kind of felt like it would, like, straighten me out, like, going into the military. That always works. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't really go as planned. (laughs) Did you find that it was not as, as accepting of you as a black person, as a queer person? 
Um, when I was in the Air Force, it was don't ask, don't tell. So I really couldn't express myself. To me, that was the hard part. Yeah. Not being able to express myself. Because at this moment, I'm like 19, around that age. Mm-hmm. I'm stationed in South Dakota. I just felt like I was being punished. I cannot be myself. I have to pretend to be this person I'm not. Yeah. Like, I'm watching shows on TV like Queerest Folks where, like, there are these big gay scenes. Yeah. And I'm, like, literally in the middle of nowhere in South Dakota. In your case, would you say that it, it kind of drove you to wanting to be loud about who you are once you got out? Yes, because even when I was in the Air Force, like, I had these girlfriends. We haven't seen each other since I left mm-hmm. the Air Force. But we have a text where we text each other every single day. <laughs> they knew. They knew. I told them, like, hey, I'm gay. So they would be, like, my monitors almost. Like, sometimes we would be getting ready to go somewhere, and they would be like, you got to go change. You cannot wear that. <laughs> because I just wanted to be myself. Yeah. And, like, I would have, like, a, a tank top on with, like, Britney Spears on it and my stomach out. And we're about to go eat in the dining facility. And they're like, you cannot wear that. Like, <laughs> they're protecting you, you. Yeah. But it was also, like, even though they was protecting me, something Bishop Jakes says that I have found so true. That when the mother eagle has the egg, the egg is to protect the the baby. But eventually the egg starts constraining once you get big enough, the thing that was once protecting you is now, like, constraining you. Yeah. And that's how it felt. Like, I knew they was protecting me, but I just wanted to be myself so bad, you know. Is the ability to be yourself part of what drew you to Chicago? What, what made you choose this as your home? Well, I am, like, really into, like, female impersonation and pageants and a pageant that's here is called Miss Continental. Mm-hmm. And my friends in Mobile, when I finally got out the Air Force, I started hanging around like all these queens and gay people and trans people in Alabama. And they started showing me all these videos of pageants and they showed me Miss Continental, which is mostly like all trans women, like this pageant. Mm-hmm. So me and my friend were like, we have to go to Chicago to see that. We have to go. So we go there. We're not even trans yet. We're still like still these gay boys so excited to go see this pageant. We go there in drag. I see all these girls with like hips and breasts and big hair and amazing outfits. And in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, this exists. <laughs> because growing up in Alabama and going from Alabama straight to South Dakota, you kind of don't see that at all. When I was in high school, I used to always watch Tu Wong Fu. I used to have to sneak and watch it. Yeah. And I used to tell my friend, like, one day I'm going to find that contest. I'm going to find that contest. And she was like, that was a movie, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to move to New York because that's where it was. I'm like, I'm going to move to New York and find that contest. So when I saw that this, like, this contest was a real thing, that's when I was like, okay, I got to do this. That's what made me transition. Because all the time, I just felt like this was just in my head. It was something I thought up, but this didn't exist in real life. Yeah. And then, so my experience was in Chicago. 
And I just remember being in Chicago, walking around dressed like, you know, dressed up, and no one was looking at me weird or nothing. So I was like, I have to go. When I went back to South Dakota. Oh, I you just, had to go back? Uh. Yeah. I remember <laughs> taking the blue line back to the airport and just looking at all the apartments. And I was like, I have to get there. Somehow I have to get to this city. And that's what planted the seed in my head, Chicago. I grew up a fucking screw up, but this is my life, let me lace my boots up, broke as hell, eat a wick of braille, my black tail words of blue pen trail, there go the dreams I used to have, there go my grace, I feel the mad, they have no time, need to kiss with last, tell them wet hoes to kiss my ass, I was on the ledge with a Kim CD, gonna hit the jump, say by QB, tried out for drum major, sharp as a laser, they say me too. I'm Jill Hopkins. This is Vocalo. I'm joined in studio by Casey Ortiz. When you uh, sit down to write songs, you must have just a wealth of, of personal experience to draw through. And that brings me to the work that you have been doing with the Howard Brown Health Center. Why is it important to you to use your art to speak to social causes? Not a lot of people are doing it. And the people who are doing it, you know, like... There are conscious rappers out there, but there aren't any, like, mainstream ones. Well, like, Kendrick Lamar and, like, J. Cole. But for the most part, like, all the mainstream rappers are just, like, the bling rappers. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like knowledge is power. And... Society is so fucked up now. Like, we, we got all these reality shows that we think it's cool to fight everywhere we go. Oh, it's cool to curse people out. It's cool to not be loyal to your friends. It's cool to talk behind people back. Society is basically deteriorating. When you look at Twitter or anything, it's like, so-and-so clap back at so-and-so. Blah, 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 shadiest moments. This person read this person. It's like... Damn, we're just training humanity to treat each other like ish. And something needs to be done about it. Like, we can't let this get out of hand. Like, we need positive people in in influential positions because society is going to, like, down the drain. Now, before I let you go, because I know you're a busy woman, it is not every day that I get to talk to somebody who has a famous fan and tell themselves, tell me about the day that you woke up and found out that Missy Elliott knew who you were. (laughs) Uh, I'm trying to remember how did it happen. I think I just kept, like, tweeting her, tweeting her, tweeting her, tweeting her. And one day she, like, responded. But then once she responded, once I started expecting it all the time. <laughs> I started expecting her to respond to everything then, and then I was like, uh. But I, she's responded, I would say, about maybe like four times. But I'm like, that's just enough that I remember all this stuff because when I meet these celebrities, I want to be like, this is how you inspire me. And one thing with her, I was homeless. I was staying in my own, sleeping on a futon in my friend's couch and I had basically gave up on life I was like nothing is working for me and I remember laying there praying and I'm like God if if something is worth me to keep going give me a sign something I tweeted Missy like liked it Mm -hmm. like right after I prayed and then I got on Twitter and I, I added her and I said something like oh my god I asked God to give me a sign and you just gave it to me and she wrote back like something like God works in mysterious ways or something 
So just the fact that this woman that I have idolized um, a lot of my life just even acknowledged me. Yeah. Acknowledged me. And, and my header on Facebook is one of her replies. And it was like, it said something like, Casey, anything you imagine can happen. And just the fact that Missy Elliott typed my name out, she didn't just say, hey, any, she said Casey. So to me, that was like my driving force. Like, I have learned to just take the obstacles and use them as fuel. When you're on a journey doing something hard, you have to take all the the smallest victories and savor them because you're going to need that stamina to go through such a grueling journey. <laughs> I thank you for letting us tag along on this journey. And it doesn't feel grueling from over here. You are... You are just making us smile with, with every release. Thank you so much. I want to give people the info. They can go to KCOrtizMusic.com. That's K-A-Y-C-E-E OrtizMusic.com. Or go to KC Ortiz. The new record is called Beach Street, and it stays in my car. It stays on the playlist. Thank you so much. Thank you. And you can find me like on all the streaming platforms under KC Ortiz. It's just K and a C and then Ortiz. Spread the word. We need to get out there. <laughs> I know. And uh, you know, your your co-headlining tour with Missy Elliott is happening any any day now. <laughs> oh my God, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Speaking into existence. Yes, speaking into existence. <laughs> Thank you so much, Casey. <laughs> Thank you. Too much clutter. Snapping pain. One time. They used to tell me no, now they all say it please. How is Alabama feels? A hundred degrees. I told you I was coming. Why didn't you believe? Country mother of I see a snapping pain. They used to tell me no, now they all say it please. How is Alabama feels? A hundred degrees. I told you I was coming. Why didn't you believe?